0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Michael Bitter. Welcome to the podcast, Michael.
1: Hey, thanks.
0: Um, Before we started, we offered a prayer, and we just hope that a good spirit will be here of understanding. Um, Let me just give you an overview of Michael. Um, He is 21. He has a degree from BYU-Idaho in psychology with a sub, uh, you call that a minor in stats, yeah, Michael?
1: a minor in statistics. Yeah, a minor in statistics.
0: And uh, Michael is now at Utah State um, working on a master's in HR. Michael is gay. We're going to talk about his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint. Michael has mostly stepped away from the church, so I want our listeners to know that. Neither Michael or I are inviting others to step away, but this is a podcast about how to keep families together, and Michael's family's doing a good job, and just keep community together as each of us make our own way in life. Uh, Michael's respectful of the church, so this won't be a podcast where we're um, tearing down the church or wanting others to leave. We're just honoring Michael and his and his journey. Uh, Michael would like to marry a man and have a family, and yeah, that's out of the doctrine of the church that I sustain and support, but I still feel impressed to do these podcasts at times, because many of you parents and many of us have friends that are, um, for whatever reason, stepping away from our faith, and we need principles and um, framework to kind of navigate that so we can keep our families together and keep our friendships together as everybody makes their way. Is that okay for an introduction, Michael?
1: Yeah, sounds perfect.
0: Um, Let's talk about growing up. We're introduced to our listeners where you grew up.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, lived there there for, I don't know how many years did I live there, 14 years, I want to say, in the same house, Um, and then when I was 16 years old, I had the opportunity to move to Stavanger, Norway, um, 1,800 miles exactly across the world, up in, not close to the Arctic Circle. Um, and there I went to a private school, um, an English private school, made amazing friends there. I'm still friends with them even to this day. And it's been almost five or six years later. Um, and then, yeah, I, I enjoyed Houston for the most part.
0: (laughs) How'd you like living in Norway?
1: Um, it was the best year of my life. Um, so there was nothing I would do to go back on that, or I would do anything to go back to Norway. Um, it was just such a difference, and then what I knew in Houston. So in Houston, Houston's a super diverse city, but it's um, the suburbs themselves can be quite—I uh, don't want to say segregated, but quite, quite. Um, what's the word? Like yeah. modulized. Yeah, um, and so. Again, not to say that my high school wasn't diverse or anything like that, but mo- moving to Norway, it was just so different. And all of a sudden, I went to school with, I think, our entire school system. So from kindergarten to senior in high school, had like 112 countries being represented um, by it. And so you just really had the opportunity to interact with so many international people. And all of a sudden, you're put in this position where you're being questioned on every part of your life. Um, so for example, Americans grow up thinking that we are the best of every single thing on earth. And, uh, to be frank, we lack in a lot of areas. We're not this amazing company, company, amazing, um, country that we used to be, um, we're by far not bad though. Um, but then all of a sudden you're challenged with your own points of views and everything like that. Um, and it was just, amazing to be challenged it was amazing to have to have that experience and say like what do i actually think about the world (laughs) that's great um and then obviously like the amount of respect you get for people that you don't have um that you don't know anything about is immense you can't go to someone that's from norway and be like you're doing it wrong you just have to respect the way that they do it you can't go to someone that grew up in Egypt and be and just be hateful or rude to them because they just do it differently. And so that was a huge lesson that I still do still live by today.
0: I, I love you talking about Norway. Um, before Michael and I went live, um, I mentioned to him that my wife and I ended a cruise and we called it Sta- Stavanger. Until we got there and then we realized we were saying, my wife actually learned this before I got there. Say the name of that city again. In Stavanger. North- Stavanger. And even then it could be slightly wrong. <laughs> and so, um, we just loved being there, Michael. And we spent two days there and actually ended our cruise there. We felt a little guilty in this big cruise ship in your quaint harbor. Um, it's a
1: very small harbor.
0: And I felt <laughs> embarrassed to be this big American cruise ship. I guess the cruise ship technically wasn't American, it was Norwegian, I think. But, And then I had a message from somebody on Twitter, and she may be listening, and she suggested, which is a good suggestion, that I talk less and get my guests talking more. <laughs> and she made the point that often I'll make the same comments in each podcast, and our listeners may be familiar with my thoughts. And that was actually a really good suggestion. But then I looked on her Twitter, and she's from the same city, and you probably know her.
1: I think I know her. I know I recognize that last name. So
0: it's kind of a small world. Tell a, us just as a tangent how what's the church like in that in Stavanger is it one ward two wards a branch do you remember so
1: it was so they have two stakes um in all of Norway and then we were in a ward um and then everything else and then Bergen so just yeah
0: we were going to go there but I had to we had to leave early
1: yep so that's I want to say three three and a half hours north and then that's a ward and then you have Oslo.
0: And so is there a warden actually in Stavanger?
1: Yes. At least that's there correct. was. There was. Um, <laughs> um, the problem with, with Stavanger was it's a very international based city. And so it's fueled off of oil industry. And a lot of oil companies have pulled out of Norway. Interesting. Um, so that's the reason that we moved back. Um, so
0: that makes sense to Houston the houston and, yeah there's so another it,
1: pronunciation they, they called it the twin city um interesting and so the ward was very expat uh-huh. um heavy but at the same time also not at the same time so it was about 50 50 um uh, maybe 75 local 25 um expat um but the thing is the so when we, we when we went there The bishop at the time, Einar, we thought that was bishop. That was his actual first name. Um, My, I want to say my dad's co-worker or one of the people that my dad grew up with or something like that um, served his mission in Norway, went back when it was like Norway and Sweden or something like that. Served his mission in Stavanger, though, and baptized Einar, the bishop's dad which then kind of created the church in, in, Stav- that, in Stavanger.
0: In Stavanger.
1: Um, so my dad knew the missionary that baptized the people, at least the sons or That's the fathers really cool. of the people in the um, ward. I don't know where it is now. I know that I keep up somewhat. I know a lot of them served missions. I know a lot of my age group is at college now. Uh-huh. And so I don't really know where they are now, but.
0: Let's talk about your parents, uh, Mark and Tammy. Before we went live, you talked about your love for them, and I've interacted with your mom a little bit, and I sense your parents are active LDS that are managing this space of having a gay son, and a gay son that's kind of stepping away from the church. Just talk about how you feel about your parents, and and maybe share some of the things as advice for other parents, because I sense your parents are doing a good job, and they may not be perfect, and Um, my parents weren't and I'm not as a parent, but I just sense you're pretty appreciative of what your parents are doing.
1: I think, I think the biggest thing that I didn't accept for a long time was this idea that they were just learning of it and I didn't give them time to accept it versus me had been living. I don't know what age I came out. I don't even remember it, to be honest. My mom does, but I don't. Um, (laughs) but I had been dealing with it for like 16 years, right? 12 to 16 years, um, depending on.
0: So really young. So you knew yeah, in five, knew, six, seven, eight that yeah. you were. I knew. Yeah, something knew was young. different, but maybe not vocabulary.
1: Exactly. I didn't know what. I just knew something was different, and so when I came out to them, I kind of, ex- I kind of expected that like accept me now type type of mentality. But then I didn't realize that they needed that time to reconcile with how they viewed the church and me and how they viewed um not necessarily being gay but just how that would change the dynamic what that would mean for me in the future and everything like that um so want to say like any of them were both of them were in denial or anything like that um but it did take a year or two for it to become really normalized And it just became normalized just by talking a little bit about it a little bit more. Don't get me wrong. We definitely got in our fights. We still get in our fights. It's okay. Um, Hands down. And so, um, but there is this idea that you just have to bring it up a little bit and you have to just hope that they'll accept and get over it to some degree. And I would say that they have now. Um, so I know that my mom's a part of the Mama Dragons or some LGBT um, Mormon connection Facebook group, there's millions of them. Um, and I know that now, like, she's even using like LGBTQ or she's using like LGBT. Um, she's she sent me, well, she'll call me and she'll be like, I just don't know what these terms are. And I'm like, some of, some of the terms I haven't even heard of, and she's learning and she's reading these cool. stories and everything like that. Um, and so for, I guess for parents is just, I would say now with where we are, if you're going to be a new parent, and I know this is kind of blunt, but you just have to not make that assumption that your kid is going to be straight. Um, statistically your kid will most likely be straight. Um, but having that underlying, like what if plan or how are you going to approach this plan? Um, so I'm a business I'm in business, I love business, and everyone has like a backup plan or a what if, or instead of route A, what would route B look like? And I think parents need to do that with more social issues. Um, So what is it going to look like if your kid has depression? How are you going to go about that? What is it going to look like if your kid is gay? What is it going to look like if your kid wants to go to a different school than you grew up going to you know well if he wants to go to the university of utah instead of byu or vice versa Um, and those are superficial levels right but at the same time they do indicate something else that means that you don't have this one track mind for your kid i think that that is something that as a parent it's hard to get out of but at the same time as a parent it's something that is needed for your kid to be receptive towards you um, so I will, I'll, I'll clarify that, like, like my parents never did anything like bad or anything like that necessarily. Like, I know that they really confirmed like their love for me and everything like that. When I come out, came out, they, they'll they still do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't look back and we can't reflect on our experiences.
0: Has this brought you and your parents closer together or a, a deeper relationship that never would have been possible without sort of comp- processing more complicated things?
1: Oh, 100%. I call my mom like when I'm walking home from school. I call her for everything. I'll be like, mom, I'm interviewing. What does my outfit look like? Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the good looks or I, I don't know how to dress myself, um, gay jean or however it's attached to being gay. I wish I had gotten that much. Um, <laughs> That's funny. It is funny and I wish I had it. <laughs> um, but she um it definitely built that bond because it was like all of a sudden like these hard things yes i went through a lot of them on my own and to some degree you have to go through them on on your own you know your mom doesn't know what it's like to be gay your mom doesn't know what it's like to have all these disparities in your life so to speak with where society is and where you are um but at the same time you still have to go through them more or less together She'll never be able to empathize. She'll never be able to fully understand. But that doesn't mean she can't use her past experiences or he um, can't use their past experiences to try and relate to you and use their just expertise in being alive and being old. Um, Not that my parents are old. Um, But they, they have to somehow adjust to you and you have to somehow adjust to them. And so I think that's really where me and my dad and my mom's relationship really grew um i will say that the bitters are not huggers we don't say sorry we don't say love you we don't hug we don't we're not very an affectionate family it's more like how are we spending time with each other um what do we what do you go to for each other um and so i go to my parents for everything like i'll call them and be like i'm bored now um which i don't think i would have ever done when i'm 16 but i don't think any 16 year old would have ever thought of that. It's, I hope
0: you're listening mom and dad bitter. And, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and all of us parents recognize, you know, we remember our bad days and I've had some of those, but this is a great story. And I really admire where both of you are with your son and keeping the family circle together. And I think one of the greatest signs of family success is what Michael says. It's not necessarily maybe hugging it's communication and being able to share our lives together and be honest and authentic and And that takes real skill. Some families that comes real naturally and some family need, sometimes need outside therapy or outside um, help to develop the tools to do that. That's really thoughtful. Talk, if your mom were here um, and you came out as gay, what would her biggest fears be for you?
1: So I know my mom's biggest fears, at least if I remember correctly, she'll probably text me and be like, that wasn't right. Um, (laughs) Well, maybe I'll have her on the podcast someday. (laughs) Hey, someday. Um, I remember there was a specific study that came out um, and I don't know how valid or reliable it was. I'm really critical of studies um, that talked about um, abuse or domestic violence within same sex relationships, specifically male. Um, And so I knew that she was super worried about that. So, Ever since I came out, my parents have known that I wanted to have a family, adopt and everything like that. So that's never been something that hasn't been talked about. Um, For them, it was more like be picky, be picky, be picky. Don't um, go searching for someone at like a bar or something like that because they want me to find someone good. And I think that's really admirable for a parent, somewhat admirable for a parent to be worried about. Um, I know that another one of them was how is society going to react? So I know that a huge thing for her, and I know that for one of my older brothers too, was that they were really concerned with how I'd be treated in society. So they didn't they focused less on me being gay as an identity, but more on how people would react to me being gay in the outside world. Um, and again, growing up in a Mormon religion, or LDS religion. Um, and how are people going to react to that? Um, it's no secret that the LDS church is very conservative, um, but it's no secret that the people within the church are changing too. Um, but back six, seven years ago, it wasn't really talked about. And so I think are concerns of how our society going to treat them in the world? And are they going to be able to achieve the things that they want to achieve, whether that's in the workforce, whether that's social issues, whether that's as a family, wherever that is, or is being gay going to inhibit them in some way or another.
0: So those two fears, let's talk about the first one second. The second one is you, you're obviously really focused on your career. You, and I want to remind our listeners that Michael is 21. You know, you talk with a maturity and an understanding way beyond your years, um, and that seems to be something I've noticed in a lot of my younger LGBTQ friends. And often they just have to develop mature skills earlier because life has been more complicated earlier. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a study out there <laughs> to confirm that, or maybe that's just my limited uh, hypothesis. But, um, and here you are, really focused on your career. You're already in grad school at 21. Yeah. And talk about just, you don't worry too much about being gay um, professionally. No, I really don't. Um, In the sense, it would mute your career, your potential, or you would be the subject of discrimination or workforce, whatever.
1: Exactly, and uh, you know, before I get into that, I do want to say that like it is legal to discriminate based off of sexuality. It's illegal. It's legal. It's interesting. Discriminate based off of your gender identity, Um, um, and there's three levels. It's usually public service. It's private. And then it's public companies. Where is it legal? Um, and so I want to say it's about 50-50. It's been reserved for the state level right now um, on at least a legal basis where states decide whether it's against the law or not. So obviously you have states like California, Utah. Oh, it's public services, companies, and then public housing. Um, and so you have states like California, Oregon, Washington, um, New York, and there's more. I'm just thinking of the big ones that have come out and said that it is legally, um, it is illegal to discriminate based off of sexual identity, um, gender identity, or any of the other um, parts of being LGBT. And, but then you have the other states that say no. So for example, Georgia. For example, Utah, I believe is only, it's illegal to discriminate based off of, for companies and public housing, but not for public services and public services is like running for office and being in a government position within the state of Utah. So there's these different levels across. Um, and that's one thing that the freedom act is, um, I want to say it's the freedom act, um, that's being pushed right now. Congress right now. Yeah. In October that the Supreme court will judge on is does the amendment that protects civil rights also protect gender, identity, um, sexuality, and everything like that. So on a national level, it is not protected. And I want to be very clear about that. So there is still, it's still cloudy. It's it not is still just very a, cloudy. It's not a clear thing. road. Um, however, on the flip side of that, it is not to a company's best interest to discriminate. Um, and so I'm in a very heavy recruiting cycle right now. I'm being, um, I have interviews with different companies, mostly Fortune 500 companies every single week. Um, they come onto campus, and they like the students at Utah State, specifically in the Masters of Human Resource Program. Um, that being said, a huge thing I care about is diversity. And a huge thing I care about more now is inclusion. How are they how are they not only bringing in better talent, um but how are they incorporating that talent into their workforce? And so when you think of a recruiting standard, The company wants to make the best decisions that will make the company money or will align with the company's values and goals. One of that is employees or their people. And so if you say that I'm not going to hire gay people, I'm not going to hire lesbian people, I'm not going to hire transgenders um, or anyone else from the LGBT plus community, you are basically saying that I don't care if I hire the best people. I only want people that will fit my narrative. Um, there's no study and I, there will never be study, a study that comes out that says gay people are less intelligent. Um, and so companies want the best talent and they recognize that if they discriminate, um, not even on just LGBT issues, but civil rights issues, black, um, women or anything like that too, they're not getting the best talent. Um, so in an economic way, it's, it doesn't make sense um, for a business to discriminate. But that being said, going into like more personal, um, so I have a really good friend, He, um, worked at a really high up fortune, um, 500 company. And that was a big concern for him is how would I be receptive? How would I be treated at this company and everything like that? And I know for him, he was treated just as another part of the team. They wanted to know about his life. They didn't care that they had pictures of him with his husband or anything like that. They really didn't mind. Um, for me, I've never experienced that either. Um, so I've never experienced in the recruiting cycle, that they are discriminating me because I'm gay. Um, I will say I have a little bit more of a straight voice and everything like that. Um, so it's a little bit harder for them to guess to some degree. But even then, they they care so much more about your skills. They, they care so much more about your experience than they do what your sexuality is. Um, and if you think about just who are the people recruiting now, the people that are recruiting are just a few generations, if not even younger than me. So, I've gone into interviews where the people recruiting are actually younger than me because a recruiter is kind of an entry level role. Um, and so you kind Not of. Really?
0: So, at 21, some of the people recruiting
1: you were younger. I had one. I had one. Or
0: some of um, your age are younger.
1: Yep. And so, because if you think about it, you can go off of um, in your undergrad, you can be a recruiter. Or as soon as you graduate with an undergrad, which is, it can be around 20, 21 years old, you can be a recruiter. Um, and so. Yeah, and so if you think about the generational differences, they don't care. They want the best talent, and you have to remember that, that they want the best talent in their company. Now, within companies, I can't say specifically how you're going to be treated, but generally, companies have made way more moves. Um, So I was looking at human rights campaign. They publish a um, human, it's a CIE um, index. Basically, it rates the equality and inclusion that companies do. Um, and so for the first time they've ever, this is the highest number. So back in 2018, they had 581 companies score on a hundred percent. Um, so basically they have criteria that basically says, are they supporting, um, and are they supporting LGBT issues? Are they, um, do they have employee resource groups? So a, a, collect, a collection of, um, LGBT employees that volunteer and take on another role and just do activities, do training, do development. Um, for their company, it's just a, hey, you're gay, let's hang out kind of way at, at work. Um, and they go from that level, they go from are these companies following the law <laughs> to are these companies supporting acts like the Freedom Act? Um, are they, where is their money speaking? Um, so it goes from a very, and it goes from a very recruiting standard to the very front door of a company to the very high ups where, where are these companies? companies funneling their money. Who are these people supporting? Are they supporting people that don't want LGBT rights? Do they want, are they supporting highly conservative senators and lawmakers and judges? Um, or are they supporting and, and lobbying for more equal rights? And so it's a very broad um, spectrum. And 100% means that you are doing every single thing, basically. Um, that being said, almost every Fortune 500 company is 100%. um, If not, they're 75% or above. And 75% is basically like, how many policies do you have? How many protections do you have to prevent yourself from um, discrimination? How much training and development do you have? Do you celebrate different employee resource groups? Obviously, this is one specifically towards LGBT, but they also rate, what about veterans? What about disabilities? What about um, black people? What about woman. Um, so they, they take that all into account and 75% is a high score, even for them. That was a lot of talking. Um,
0: it's like if no one's ever talked about that, Michael, on the (laughs) podcast, it's actually very helpful. You've got an understanding of the, of what's going on legally. Um, I love what you said is companies want the very best talent. Um, if I'm a recruiter and if I'm the CEO of a company, it's pretty, it's a competitive world out there. And they would want the very best talent. And so, of course, you know, they're going to, you know, recognize that gay LGBTQ people, you know, have great talents and great contributions to their company. And so, of course, they're going to hire LGBTQ people unless there's just cultural homophobia. And, and I, as you were talking, I'm actually aware of a couple HR, LDS um, people that I know in pretty senior companies. And they have become kind of natural allies, and it's because they've had to professionally um, address these issues that you just talked about. And and, and it's kind of brought them in, an, in another way, you know, into the ally space. They're pretty good allies.
1: Yeah, it's interesting being in a human resource program. So I'll, I'll go through this year and a half with the same people. And a huge worry for mine was I'm going to be up in Logan, Utah. It's still Pretty Utah. conservative. It's generally pretty conservative. Um, don't get me wrong; it's actually pretty. Uh, it's a cool place. I really, I cool. really love Logan, Utah, and I really love Utah State. But a huge concern of me was, um, so I had I had an offer to go to A and M also, and I couldn't help but notice the two different social atmospheres. I know AM has sixty eight thousand plus students, so I knew that I'd find a click to find to fit in. Um, but that being said, I knew a gay person in the second years. He knew a gay person that was his second years. So there's a, there's a history of us. Um, and so I really reached out to them and they're like, it doesn't matter. Like you're in HR. If this was finance, maybe it would be a little bit different just because you're not talking about social things. You're not talking about people. But in the end of the day, HR is about the business. It's about how do we bring in, how do we use people? to further the business in a better place. And so you are dealing with people though. You're dealing with labor relations issues. You're dealing with employee relations and you can't help but take an impartial view. So if you go into a employee relations investigation, so let's say it is, um, let's say someone is saying that they're being discriminated against for hom- for homophobia or something like that. So maybe someone... Um, I don't know, made gay slurs or something towards another employee, right? That's an employee relations issue. The um, HR HR manager, whoever is dealing with it, can't go in there with any biases. Um, So even if they have biases um, in their personal life at work, they have to remove them. And that's what makes HR so cool is that we are very impartial on a lot of things. But at the same time, we will side with the business. Um, So I want to make that clear that... We do work for the business, um, but we are the more people focused side of the business. And so it is a little bit more of a just it doesn't matter. And in in my cohort, in my in the classmates I have, it doesn't matter. You're out. Are you out? Oh, yeah. They definitely know I have a water bottle that has a pride sticker on it. Not because I'm making a statement or anything like that, but just because it's a big part of me. I also have a hiking sticker on it because that's a huge part of me and outdoors, and I drink water all the time. Um, and they don't care. They, It doesn't matter. Some of them have had really awesome pasts. Some of them have came from Utah State, BYU-Idaho, BYU, and we're really an awesome, accepting cohort.
0: It's, it makes me happy. And so I'm, as a parent, I'm kind of trying to walk your, your mom and dad's road. That second concern, I assume, has been... been is more peaceful, they just feel like you've got a great life ahead of you career-wise and you're gonna be able to financially sound and not be bullied. And I'm sure it's not gonna be always right. And you point out the laws that are really needed to protect you aren't there yet. And I'm, so go back to this first one, which is sort of like you could be taking advantages of you. If your goal is to find a husband and develop a family, you've got to, you've got to date. Yeah, Um, you do. And (laughs) this isn't a podcast about same-sex dating and sort of blessing that, but it's a pragmatic discussion. If if someone chooses to go down this road, especially for traditional believing LDS parents, that can be really scary um, because they know some of the research that you're talking about that that can be a really difficult road and they want to keep you healthy and safe and just talk about that. You know, maybe it's you giving advice to other people that feel like this is their road to make good decisions as far as dating.
1: Yeah. So my mom and my dad is just a quiet person in general. So if I say my mom, I also say I, I assume my dad at the same time. Um, he's very introverted.
0: We did a podcast on introverts. I oh, learned boy. a lot about oh, introverts.
1: I learn more and more every day. I interact so. with one. <laughs> um, no, and so my mom never like she explicitly like cited that that study once to me, um, but just as if it was another, just as if you were straight, just as if you were um, pursuing someone that isn't, just if you were pursuing anyone. Your parents want to make sure that you're going to be with someone that's safe. So make sure that they're going to be with someone that supports you. Make sure that they're gonna that you're going to end up with someone that loves and gives you the respect that you deserve. And I can't ignore the fact that there are super vulnerable times um, in a person's LGBT um, history or um, journey to becoming themselves and to becoming and to figuring out who do I like, what do I like in someone? Um, there's some really vulnerable times and that vulnerability. And at least in my experience, you want that validation. You want that gratification. You, you just want to know that you, who you are is okay. And it's okay. And you know, I love my parents, but man, when they would tell me like, it's okay to be gay, it would, it would be hard to separate that from just being like, oh, well, you're my mom, right? And so you seek this like external validation from someone that's not so so close to you. So you start dating, you start hanging out, um, just getting to know more and more gay people. And so my mom was never explicitly like, don't date, don't do this, don't do this. She just always wanted to be, me to be very mindful of it. And I'm a super picky person. Like, I really don't get feelings for that many people. Um, I am just generally very picky with who I want in my life, even on a friend level. And so that wasn't so much of a concern for me, but that was a concern for her. And she'd say things like, oh, well, like, don't, you know, make sure that you're not just hooking up with someone at a bar or make sure that, you know, you get to know the person before you jump into anything and stuff like that. And I don't feel like that was because I was gay. Um, To some degree, it was fueled by this research or by her, um, whatever she would read on the news. And we all know that the news is very inaccurate sometimes, most of the times, I would say. Um, But I felt like it wouldn't be any different if it was to a straight couple. Um, I I would say that there's more of a confounding variable um, in the fact that I would be leaving the church. And she doesn't know... Well, my mom knew, but, um, you know, you think of parents that grew up in the church, they don't know what it's like to date outside the church. They don't know how you date outside the church, right? Like it's a very, typically everyone just meets each other at school. (laughs) Um, and so they don't really know what it's like to be 24, 25. And how do you find a date from there. I don't know, to be honest, I'm not at that stage in my life. I'm in college. I'm with a lot of other people right now. Um, so I have way more options, but let's say I get a, let's say Utah state, I don't find anyone there. Um, and all of a sudden I move to New York city or I move to LA or Denver or wherever my company takes me. Um, how do you navigate that community how do you navigate that and I think that's where she was so scared of is she just didn't know um so I wouldn't say it had to do anything with me being gay maybe well it definitely had to do something with me being gay but I'll also say it was a huge part of that was not knowing how to date within the church my mom knew how to date within the church um, she didn't grow up in the church she grew up in a um more rough household and so she knew what it was like to be in the church and out of the church. And I can't blame her for not knowing what it would be like to date outside the church. So I think that's where more of her concern came from, actually.
0: Um, that's, it's just a tender topic to talk about, and I'm glad you're talking about it. I, I'm thinking back to I'm in a parent group. Maybe it's the same group as your mom, LDS parents of LGBTQ kids, and there is a lot of concern about their kids dating and being really vulnerable and being validated by someone pretty quickly, and that turning into a pretty intense relationship that often is not a healthy one. And I I, I sometimes, you know, so I think in the back of my mind, and sometimes I'll have a conversation, not on a podcast, and I'll just encourage, um, a few general principles. One is you've got to be your best self. So I've always encouraged straight or non-straight people to try to be your very best self and be in an emotionally strong p- place before you date. Um, that may not be always great advice, but I always felt when I was dating back at BYU, I wanted to be the very best self I could. Now that doesn't mean I have to be perfect or dating sometimes can lift me. Um, but I always think it's great to date people at a roughly your same age. So some, I know, I'm always worried when a younger LGBTQ person starts to date an older person. Um, that may not be a firm rule, but I would just really put yellow flags on that and maybe red flags. Cause I've just heard too many stories where a vulnerable young person perhaps is taken advantage of, and they feel the doubt validated. It's the first one that maybe is really accepted for who that they are. And that can be really, you know, that feels really good. And, and yeah. that can lead into a relationship that may not be healthy. So, and I've encouraged everybody to go really slow. I think you're going really slow.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I'm in a stable place in my life. Um, I'm in school, but I know what I want to do with my life. I know that I want to go into a career with HR. I know generally what I want out of a company. Um but I but I have a path for me. And so that was kind of something that I always ran frustration into in dating was I'd always run into these people that didn't know what they wanted to do or um weren't sure of their position with them and the church or on the opposite side were completely against the church um for very valid reasons. Don't get me wrong. I it was nothing against them, but it was just like I need I need to be with someone that's also stable. Um, I need to be still, and that's also very confident, whether that's with them being in the church or whether that's be- them being outside the church. Um, a huge thing for me is like, I don't hate, um, and I, I know that's like a phrase, but genuinely like, it's a hard thing to hate. Like it takes a toll on you. And so for me, and kind of thinking about dating and everything like that, like, sure, I do a cost analysis benefit. Um, so what's the benefit of this cost? So, so to speak. And so I kind of start thinking like, okay, if I dated this person, then would they bring more pain or would they bring more joy? And they might bring a lot of joy, but at the same time, that pain might be going lower just because maybe they're in the closet and you can't be who you are. You can't tell people about your boyfriend. You can't tell, you can't share this because they're in the closet still, or there's just so many different life situations. And so for me, it's been hard because I'm 21 years old, um, so I'm still very young. Um, You know, I'm still learning life um, day to day. Um, Every single class, every single interaction I have with someone new, I'm learning something. And but that being said, educationally wise and career wise, I'm quite far. Yeah. Um, So 21, I'm getting a master's. Um, I'll be done with that by the time I'm 22. I think maybe 22, 20, 22, 23. Um, I can't do the math. I don't have an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> um, But, and so I think like, okay, I'm gonna have a master's. I could get another master's if I'm being honest. I could get a, um just an MBA. And so I kind of think of like, okay, I, I want someone that's gonna match my level with that. And so then I start thinking like, okay, well, who are those people? Well, they're not the people that are, freshmen in, in colleges or they're not sophomores in colleges. I, I, That's been something I've been very picky on is they don't have to be doing a master's. They don't have to be doing a bachelor's. They just need to be doing something. And that's been a huge criteria for me is that they need to know generally where they're going. Generally, I know where I'm going. I mean, is it perfect? No. Am I open to change? Absolutely. Um, but generally, I have a path that I want to follow and I want to support someone on their path. I don't believe that it's something that you can have someone help you figure out necessarily. Um, I think it's that where you want to go in life and what do you want to do and how do you want to build your purpose in life has to be a you decision. And it's always being reevaluated. It's always being reevaluated, but it needs to be something that you do. And so for me, it's hard to go into um, see people like that and want to be in a relationship with them just because I don't know, are they going to support me? Are they going to kind of pull me down? How can I support them during that? And this is just my, you know, I want to clarify. This is my perspective. This is my opinion. This is what fits me right now, at least. Um, I will say that I've seen people that are 19. They have no idea what they want to get to do. They get married and they have a wonderful life. Um, But I think it's kind of figuring out where are your needs and where are your um, and what do you want? And I think that's a really hard thing to find when you're when you're not even sure who you are to some degree. Um, and so I would say, like, it doesn't matter whether you're gay or whether you're straight. You need to know who you are before you kind of dive into that relationship. Don't get me wrong. You got to date. You got to figure out what you like. You have to go on dates, go on second dates, go on third dates. I don't care. Um, you have to figure that out and you have to evaluate, oh, that person, that person part of it was really nice oh that personality i i'm not attracted to you don't know that unless you date but kind of going into like relationships it's something that you do want to be very confident and uh, you want to make sure that you're going to be it's going to be 100 and 100 do you tell
0: your mom who you're dating
1: um i'll tell them that i go on dates um she she's always wanted to know and i'm like well i'll tell you when something serious happens That's okay Um, right now it's been hard just because I'm, my friends know this, but I am, I have a schedule of 7am to about (laughs) 7pm on campus doing stuff. Um, and so it's just like time-wise and stress-wise and anxiety-wise, it's just been so taxing. But it's also important to realize that and recognizing that like right now I'm not in a place to get in a relationship. Does that mean I can't go on a date? No, I can schedule <laughs> two hours of my Friday night, <laughs> um, to go on a date, to go get dinner. Cause I want to know like, you know, it's always this evaluating thing. Um, but I think you do need to know yeah. who you are. And I think you need to know generally what you want to do. Um,
0: this is a good discussion and I hope it's okay for our listeners. Cause it's just kind of a pragmatic discussion of the realities of Um, Some of our gay members and I I really like I was thinking about this recently and I think um, those of you that are single, I think it's kind of as you're dating, I think you can still be pretty selfish and say that this relationship has to make me a better person and I can't go into this relationship just because I'm going to save somebody that's in a really difficult spot. And so sometimes they'll see relationships where the person's so unselfish at first that they get into a relationship that really doesn't lift them. I think once you're in a committed relationship and married, then it's obviously that transitions to a deeply unselfish relationship because you have responsibility to the other person. But I think it's okay to be a little selfish at first and um, you can't get in a relationship because you find somebody that's in a really tough spot and you have an ability to help them and lift them and you kind of become their savior. And if you're both saving each other, that's okay. And you're both making each other better than you would be without each other. That's okay. But if, if it's pretty one-sided, that, that to me is not a good foundation. So I think it's okay to, even if you see really people that need you, you know, you've got to, if that doesn't mean you should be in a relationship with that person, you may have to define a different type of relation. It's not a relationship and let other people save that person I don't think marriage is a vehicle to saving other people. It's a, maybe a way to save both of us. Um, if it's a positive way, I love the idea of one plus one equals three, that my wife made me something that I could never be without her. Um, and I needed her companionship in my life to help me become the man I need to be. So that's just general thoughts as everybody's dating. And I love the way you're going slow and you're busy and you don't, even though you're gay and you want to have a a husband that you don't define right now about that. And you just say, well, that is part of my path. Now, if I were your YSA Bishop, we were having this discussion, (laughs) you know, I put on my YSA Bishop hat and I'd probably try to say, you know, Michael, thank you for telling me everything that's going on in your life. So if you were having this discussion, you know, and you're brave enough to come to my office and tell me you want to marry a man and date, I would say, thank you for telling me what's going on in your life. And I would say something like this. I'll walk on any road you want to walk on, meaning I'll continue to be involved in your life. I want to be involved in your life. And my involvement in your life isn't conditional on you following te- church teachings and just keep talking to me. And I probably still always invite you to follow the teachings of our church. And if you felt like this is really your path, like you do, I'd say, Michael, take God with you. Um, he loves you and he will always love you. And I'll always invite you to follow the teachings of the church that I believe in, but I'm going to honor your path and I want to be in your life. And And I just feel like those of us that are in the church, it's okay to take that framework and because I think it allows people that are stepping away from the church to make better decisions. I could just say, you know, Michael, I'm not going to meet with you anymore unless you're going to start living church teachings and coming to the church. And if we all sort of cut off your family's doing a great job of this of not doing of not cutting you off. Then I sort of think well, there's different ways to live life off the covenant path, and um, I think people that leave the church and feel like their path is outside the church do a better job if we continue to show love to them and just trust them enough that they know the right path for them and just leave it at the Savior's feet. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, you what know, I said. Something that I always have a hard time with is coming out. To just, you know, there's this phrase that you never just come out once; you come out every day. Um, And so, I have three roommates right now. Um, I'll keep their identities as confidential as possible. Um, Recently returned missionaries, and they're the. I am so lucky to have them. Um, They do not care that I'm gay. Um, They do. You're out to
0: your roommates. Yeah.
1: So it was actually funny. They were asking about my tattoo, and I didn't know that they knew. And one of them was like, oh, does it have to do with when you came out? And I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, we knew since day one. And I'm like, well, that's good. I don't even know how to fake being straight anymore. Um, but they are very active. Um, but at the same time, they're very much like, you know, if you want to come to church this Sunday, come to church with us. Um, they're always encouraging me to go to, like, family home evenings. They're always encouraging me to get to know people. So we have... Um, a lot of people over. We play card games like none other. Um, every single night we're playing card games, and I love it. And for me, it's not so much that they're Mormon or LDS or whatever you, um, whatever the title is anymore. Um, it's more just the I don't care if they don't care. And so there's always this like uneasiness of coming out. Is are they gonna be like like that strict? Like oh no. You know he's destroying the family, or he's an apostate, or whatever the phrases are. I don't even keep track of them anymore. Um, and you know you, you come out and you you're afraid of that response. And if that response is true, then it creates this really weird family dynamic that I don't believe the church or any person would ever want in a, in a home or within friendships. Um, I think it's and if you haven't been like that, then. You're so lucky to not have that weird, awkward, like, oh, he doesn't like me and it's at home. Um, And so that dynamic is such a huge concern. And so I feel like if you do approach it in that sense of, you know, Mormons can have their beliefs. They 100% can. But it's how are you going to behave off of those beliefs? So Mormons believe in marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, That's never really changed. Um, policies have changed and stuff like that, but at least right now that's not changing. Um, and, but that doesn't mean Mormons and that doesn't mean marriages between a man and a woman. And we just have to be rude to everyone else. It doesn't mean that we have to disrespect someone. Um, a really good talk. Um, I don't know actually if it was a talk or not. I don't know. Um, is, I don't know who, I don't know who said it either. I want to say Christopherson said it and it was like, you know, when I go out with my friends, if they drink. I make sure that we go somewhere where they can order alcohol. If I go over to someone's house that they're living together and they're not married, I don't chastise them. I don't not go over to their house. And so I'm like, you know, that's the whole belief of religion in a sense, right? Is what are the core values of any religion? And that's kind of where I am is I think the execution of, um, the values of religion have been distorted. We look at the Catholics um, back 2000 years ago, they did the crusades awful. We would never allow the crusades to happen. Um, And that was certainly a threat against the family or the families under attack. Exactly. And so it's like, you know, killing people, letting gays marry, which one's worse, you know, um, someone argue (laughs) Um, we won't go there. Um, But you know, just if you treat people with love, like what's the point of hating them? Like I talked about how it takes so much energy to hate someone. It does. I'm like, what, what, what message are you sending when you give someone a cold shoulder? Or when you say, if you were that YSA bishop and you said, well, why come to church anymore? You know, you can go to church for reasons other than the church supports. You can go to church for a sense of community. You can go to church for friends. You can go for um, just a sense of belonging or that, you know, if you do feel the spirit or if you do have that relationship, you can go to church to feel that. I I would assume that that person can also go to a Catholic church and go to a Lutheran church and also feel those same um, values. And that's why it's important, not just for LDS people, um, but any religion that does have a firm belief on um, homosexuality or being gay or el- the LGBT community is you can have that belief whether I support your belief in it or not just as if you su- support my lifestyle or not I even, i hate that phrase, not lifestyle because life. sexual activity exactly, um, whether you support my life or not I don't care, and I don't care what your beliefs but how are we going to interact as human beings um, kind of going back to my time in Norway you know, there's countries that I think do awful things um, but at the same time, how are you going to tell someone from that country that that country is not doing things right? You can't. Um, now, maybe if they're doing like war crimes and stuff like that, you can. But you can't tell someone that's just doing something different that they're doing something wrong. And I feel like that's where religion has been so distorted and kind of almost perverse is that they, they as in religion, um, at least within my life, in my experiences, is they've kind of taken this, like, gatekeeper role and said, no, this is how it is, or this is how it is. And I don't believe that anyone has um, monopoly on the truth. And so because of that, I don't believe that anyone has the right or authority to just tell someone that just because they're doing something different that they have any right to say anything about it, to be honest. Um, That's good. I love your
0: roommates. And I just, I don't know if I could have done that. Um, I'm 58 and I just, I pulled away from the few gay guys I knew in high school, Michael, one was Dave and one, he died from AIDS. And I think one of the reasons I do these stories is I still feel he was one of the most talented people in our high school graduating class. And we had our 40 year reunion. We showed his picture and I had this, and, uh, then I tracked down his obituary and I realized all the good things he did before he died of AIDS, but I didn't have, I just withdrew. I didn't have any tools to sort of talk to Dave or be in Dave's life. And then I look at you at Utah state with, you know, your family and these returned missionary roommates and you're finding community there and a feeling of belonging and a feeling that you as a human, you know, as a member of the human family, you know, has a future and there's hope and there's better choices. And so I just love where you are. And I recognize that Dave were alive right now, Dave would stay alive and he would be able to, and we AIDS complicated all that obviously, but he didn't have many paths in life, um, coming out of Salt Lake city in 1979, but San Francisco. Yeah. And that's where he probably felt like he belonged and where people recognized his gifts and talents and. He could, you know, companies wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do what they're doing now. And so I like, you know, we sometimes say society's going downhill and I certainly don't disagree with that. But in other areas, I love where we're going. I love what you're talking about. You as a gay man, don't have too much worry about your career. And uh, I know if I've got older LGBTQ people listening, they would be shouting on the microphone right now back. That's changed a lot from my day. And just your family's tools to keep you healthy and in the family circle and pointing you forward and roommates that aren't all weirded out about having a gay roommate and thinking that, well, the way I stand up for the truth or the way I stand for my doctrine is I bully you or I ask you to leave. And somehow that's the way I interpret religion. Instead, they're using the doctrine of Christ to say, you know, I accept you and love one another includes, you know, our roommates, unless you're in pro- unless like all roommate situations, it becomes a situation where roommates need to break up. Not did you're dating, but just, (laughs) you know, roommate situations sometimes don't work for any reason. Yeah. So this makes me have hope and, um, and just, you know, where you are and where the, the LGBT people in my age group is just a whole different space. No one was where you are in
1: my day. It definitely is. And to some degree, like, you have to feel grateful for that. Like um, I was talking to a friend or I was thinking about a friend or something, and there's just so much that I can do now because of the people that came before us. So up until this this year, really, I've never really done a lot of LGBT history. Um, so f- something about being gay has also been that I have to love everyone. Um, I might not agree with every single movement. I might not agree with every single social thing that comes out. Um, I'm still entitled to my own beliefs, but it has, you've had to force yourself to just accept and love everyone just as you've accepted and loved yourself. Um, and one of those things is learning the history of LGBT. Um, so Stonewall, um, in New York, you know, you can't ignore the fact that people were being beaten up. You can't ignore that literally 30 years ago like within your lifetime you know gay people had no rights they didn't even have any laws protecting them um you think even within your life lifetime um that there was still segregation even um and so we think that all these things are super old and they've just been around for so long and They're not. My oldest brother went to, so we lived in Midland, Texas, and he went to an elementary school or middle school or high school. I don't remember where he was when I was living there. I was three years old. Um, He went to one of the last schools that was desegregated. And this was three years after I was born, so 2000. You know, that's 19 years ago. That's nothing. Um, And so for me, I would feel selfish and I'd feel disrespectful if I didn't learn the history and so something that I think parents can do is learn the history like just don't just view your kid as one person view them as a community that has brought them to be this at this certain point and talking about and kind of how you were talking about is generally things are progressing yes there's things that are horrible in this country yes there's things that we're not great at But generally, people are, I feel, getting more and more respectful. There's just stopped caring so much, at least within the LGBT, about the LGBT um, community. And obviously, in certain places of the U.S., it's still very clashing. But in some areas of the U.S., it's still very clashing on gender working or blacks in the workforce or blacks being CEO or president even, you know. Um, And so there's there's your exceptions in the U.S. But I feel like generally that we are getting better. And I feel like it's selfish to not know about the history that's brought you like that. to this point. Um, what you're gonna do with that history is your decision. Um, but knowing that history and for parents to be able to learn that history, watch some documentaries on, on um, YouTube. You can find documentaries about every single thing and within an hour you'll want to go see a therapist <laughs> um, because of how dark it is. It's not very pretty, so to speak.
0: And that's uh, that history gives us hope. And then I wonder where the future is going to take us. And I, you know, sometimes I go to a couple of things. One is I, I really believe in the doctrine of our restored church and the power of that doctrine. And part of that doctrine is that you and I were in the pre-earth life, Michael. <laughs> I don't know if you believe all that. and That's fine. <laughs> and that we chose the same plan and that you were a valiant soul. And so I one of the doctrine of our church is this pre-earth life that we were there together, and that we are literally brothers and sisters from a loving heavenly Father. And you're my brother. And when I go forty thousand feet with our doctrine, it's hard. It makes me want to have less us versus them because I see, I see all the human family is the same family as my brother and sister, and I see this great plan that included pre-earth life and a mortal life, and then especially for parents that have children that step away, LDS parents really grieve about that. They worry about the future, but I think our doctrine has better doctrine to give them peace about that than any other faith, because we believe in loving heavenly parents and want to do everything they can to get everybody back. And so if you've got adult children that have stepped away, I just would say you've got to turn that over to the Savior. And just like Becky McIntosh does in her video— And just say, you know, I I let go, I let it go. I can't control this. I'm going to keep my family together. I'm going to keep, I love this communication that you and your mom have all the time. That to me is awesome. And you may not talk about everything and that's fine. I don't talk about everything with my kids, but I love (laughs) the way you're talking. And my sons talk more to my wife and that's sometimes a really wonderful relationship. So you know, it seems to me that is our doctrine is keeping our families together, leaving at the Savior's feet. We can't control, but you know, you're a heavenly father's son too. And, um, and so I just think, you know, he loves you. And I don't think anything you can do to can take you outside of God's love for you. Yeah. He's disappointed with all us at times. And I don't want to go down this road that he's disappointed in you and infer that, but I think he loves you. And I think he wants the best for you. And, and so I think we just, you know, do what we can do and keep our families together. Um, just another note, I'm doing a little more talking than I wanted to in my new <laughs> goal. <laughs> but I came across the, an institute talk that I heard and I recorded at the time. And it, it made the point that in Christ's day, if we could all go back to Christ's day and just say, okay, what is he teaching us? We w- if we use the word faith— that would not be a statement of beliefs, but faith would be a statement of how we treat the others. And because I think his parables were really um, challenging the assumptions of the day on how to treat others, the parable, the prodigal son, um, the woman at the well, the pool of Bethesda were mostly parables about how to treat each other and that God loves to forgive his children. He's a very loving, kind God that enjoys forgiving but then with the breakup of Christianity, statement of faith became a statement of beliefs. And certainly with our own restored church, our articles of faith, because it needed to state how our doctrine was different than other doctrines, was a statement of beliefs. Twelve of the 13, only one is a statement of how we treat others. But I think somehow in the breakup and the restoration of Christianity, a lot of a statement of faith is um, a statement of a sent to a certain level of belief but i think christ in his day um, being religious and being faithful and talking about faith was was a lot about how we treat others and i've just reminded of that talk so i think you know what your roommates are doing with you um, what your ward family's doing with you what we're all kind of wanting to do is to treat people this same institute teacher made the point that he scoured all the world religions to see if everyone had a hope uh, at the doctrine of an atonement, which is so fundamental to our church. And he couldn't find that in some religions. And what we found in every religion was um, doctrine on how to treat others. In our faith, it's called charity. In other faiths, it's called benevolence or compassion. And so in all the world religions, and Heavenly Father, knowing that most would never make their way into our church, he wanted to have that as a core fundamental principle of all religions. And so that is a beautiful doctrine to me, is how to treat others. And that's a little bit what this podcast is called, Listen, Learn, and Love. And you're helping us do that, Michael, by sharing your story. Any thoughts on all any of that or any other things you want to talk about before we close? Um. I think or anything I said that you weren't uncomfortable you were uncomfortable oh, with and no. kinda wanna
1: No, you're good. Okay. Um kind of that idea of like you you scour the world religions, right? It's not just Christianity that teaches right. love one another, right? It's so many. It's even Confucianism, which isn't even a religion. It's a, um, I don't know what they call it, but it's a foundation of religion, basically. You look at um, Confucianism, Taoism, Islam, um, Judaism, Christianity—the biggest ones right now, right? Um, you look at what even our world leaders have taught: Mahatma Gandhi, um, Mother Teresa. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that are, are not polit- not not political. Um, Martin Luther Luther King Jr. Um, They all went off of this idea that you have to start loving if you want to change, um, if you want to change the people around you. Um, And to every one of those activists, there was a counter activist that was equally valid and equally doing just as much good um, that was on the opposite of it was, no, we need to stand firm and we need to make sure that we are not disrespected. Um, And we need to make sure that we don't love the people that don't love us. Um, So there's kind of like, there's this paradox between all these world leaders and everything and everything like that. But even then, everything came down to, you just have to love the person next to you. Like, again, why would you want to go through life hating someone? Like, I, I just don't like, I, I'm very rational. I'm very intuition based thinker. Um, I'm very on the fence about everything. I just don't know why someone would ever want to go through life thinking that someone's less than them or thinking that they're above someone else or thinking that how they do life is just so much above everyone else. Like, I just don't understand how you would do that because you miss out on so many crucial experiences to learn, to develop lifelong friendships. Again, going back to Norway... What if I had gone to Norway and I had said the United States is the best at everything? It's the best at a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. But what if I had gone there and been like, no, socialism, which um, to a degree Norway is, it's a a socialistic country. That's awful. That's wrong. You know, there's no way I can support that. Um, And putting my political side's views aside, it doesn't matter what that, whether it was me going into the United States and being capitalism is wrong capitalism is awful um it's this idea that you wouldn't even you wouldn't even acknowledge why they believe that or why they have that system if you live on this pedestal to some degree um so yeah and then one other thing that we talked about kind of beforehand is and i would say this for parents i would say this for kids i would say this for older people if you can financially go see a therapist so you don't have to go talk. You don't have to go talk to a psychologist. You don't have to have any clinically depressed, clinically diagnosable reason to see a therapist. Some clinics do run off of a "we won't see you unless you are diagnosed" because that's how they bill insurance. Um, so there's logistics things like that. But having that outside person to talk to about everything and understanding that they actually come from quite a bit of education. So to even become a therapist, for those that don't know, you have to have a master's. To become a psychologist, you have to have a PhD. You're thinking master's is anywhere from bachelor's four plus master's, another three to four years of experience, PhD, even on top of that. Um, So these are really qualified people that want to help, that want to give you these strategies to manage stress, to manage time commitment. So I see one, I've been very verbal about that in my life, um, and he teaches me how do I manage stress how do I manage time commitment what are the biggest biggest stresses in my life am I viewing this person in the right way and he'll challenge my thoughts cool and he'll challenge my way of thinking when I came out I know that my mom saw a therapist I know that she needed that perspective of what do I do how do I approach this how do I view something Um, and she didn't do it because she was weak I don't do it because I'm weak I do it because I understand that there's things outside of my control that I just don't understand about myself. That's right. Really and I'm cool. extremely biased having a psychology undergrad. Um, but at the same time, there's things that you just don't know how to do, um, whether that's time commitment, whether that, that's having a gay son, whether that's having, um, you know, marital problems. It doesn't matter. There's just things that you don't know how to do about your own life. And we don't want to admit that, but we should. And we should go see these experts and we should go see these people that genuinely their entire profession, and they don't get paid a lot, unfortunately is to help you is they've done their entire life. To get to that point is to help you become better. Um, there's a phrase in it is if they wanted money, then they wouldn't help you because then you keep coming back. Um, and they don't do it for the money. They do it because they want you to stop being a client or a um, patient because they want you to be at such a stable and such a good place in life. Um, that's been a huge thing in my life. I'm going into this master's program, time commitment, stress, anxiety, understanding everything that's going on in my life. Um, and so please, if you have anything that you just don't understand about yourself, please go see a therapist. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be clinically unstable. You just have to be at a level where you recognize that you don't know what to do or you don't know why something's happening.
0: I love that. And I think I've shared on our podcast, I've seen a therapist twice in my life. Once while being a YSA bishop as my gas tank just got really low. And it was interesting as I saw that therapist, she kind of filled up my gas tank, but then I kept bringing situations to her without a name And she would have often have very wonderful insights from a clinical perspective to help my YSA because she was, you know, the very skills that you're developing and have. And I, and I love that about that experience. And, um, so I really, and I love where you said, Michael, it's not because you're weak and it's not because you're broken that you need to go see a therapist. There's just an outside perspective I had a couple closing thoughts. I went back, the impression came into my mind if I'm role-playing being your YSA bishop, I would not turn that into a worthiness interview. No. By the way, I would I would only do the worthiness interview if you wanted to fully participate in the church. If you wanted a temple recommend, want to go to the temple, then we could have a worthiness interview. But some of my LGBTQ friends say that's sort of the first area that sometimes a priesthood leader will go is a worthiness interview. So if you were brave enough to walk in my office, I'd kind of let you set the agenda. And say, Michael, what do you want to talk about? How can I help you? What are you doing in your career? There's a lot of ways to define you besides, you know, that issue. And I would try to, if you know, talk about your career and talk about your hopes. And I just want you to feel safe enough with me that you would talk to me about your life. And, yeah, you knew what I stood for. And maybe that's the same principle parents are trying to do is, you know, is to create that safety that you talk about with me so that I could help you make good decisions. And I wouldn't turn that into a worthiness interview. I mean, you kind of smiled. You can't see the smile on our listeners, but you kind of smiled on that one. And I think you're agreeing. Um, The Mm -hmm. other thing is Mm -hmm. I recognize, um, back to the very first thing you said on the podcast is you talked about how businesses and a lot of government jobs recognize they want to get the very best talent. And so I recognize that we're losing some of the best talent from our church. And I recognize that as some of our LGBTQ members step away, we are losing some of the very best people that I know. And it's not, and I don't, I just leave that at the Savior's feet. I just recognize our church has more work to do. And I can be confident about our church to look inward and say, I just recognize we have more work to do. Um, so that really wonderful people like you potentially could stay and that then, the next question is what do we do differently? And I kind of leave that up to the leaders of the church that I sustain and support. And that's kind of where, you know, someone say, well, we need a new doctrine or what, what are you saying? And I said, I don't know. I don't really try to go down that road. I just recognize that there's more work to do here and we are losing some of the very best talent that can help us be the body of Christ. And so I don't know um, what we do about that, but I think having these kind of conversations help. And um, so you have a great life ahead of you, Michael, with, Um, your career with your emotional skills, with your communication skills. You're a gifted man who's learned a lot, and you're going to bless a lot of people's lives in your life professionally and personally. And I hope all your dreams and hopes um, happen, and I hope this wonderful family of yours that you want to create as well as your individual family happen. And you all stay close together and just continue to keep the family circle together. Any other thoughts before we close?
1: No, it's been really good. Um, I've never really shared anything like that. Like I share it with all my personal friends and I share it with my family. And I. Um, it's no secret. Any of, None of this is secret to my close family or anything like that. But being outside of the church a little bit, um, definitely on the more outside of the church perspective, I know that my mom, was, she had opportunities like this when she was going through this. And I know that there's so many parents, mothers, fathers, church leaders um that do want to bridge that gap um and so yeah and I would just clarify that you know this is my experiences this is kind of how I view the world um and there's so many different perspectives and remember that listen to the rest of his podcasts about so many different issues it's not just about LGBT issues it's about so many different things and just start scrolling through them and if one intrigues you listen to it because as you start getting more and more viewpoints your world view starts changing and you start being challenged on your views and so i hope that i could either challenge someone's views or i could um give support to a view or or i don't even know how this will be um ended up or recepted or anything like that but these types of conversations are so crucial um not even within the mormon and lgbt community within the lgbt and just society in general You know, um, I'll end this with this is it was not President Obama that got gay marriage. It was society. And President Obama just happened to be president at the time to allow for it to be voted on um, and to be passed. And I think as a society, we're, we're at that point and just lay off the news a little bit and just start talking to people and just experiencing people. The news, social media is not real um, it's not the same as just sitting down across from someone and having a coffee or having a bite to eat and just asking about their experiences.
0: It's great. Thank you, Michael Bit Bitter for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler and for the courage just to share your story more broadly. Yeah, this you. will help a lot of people and I hope you get some messages. However, people can find you. We'll post this on Twitter and Facebook and that they can message you, and you're going to, you help a lot of people. And thank you, our listeners. It's, you know, this podcast is growing really rapidly in listenership, if that's the right term, Uh, viewership. I don't know if it's the right term, but it's really because of our guests that come on and bravely share their stories. Thank you.